Welcome to Channel Journeys, the podcast for channel professionals that will enable and inspire you to create your best channel journey ever. Meet and learn from channel experts who share authentic stories of their channel victories, defeats, and lessons learned along the way. Here's your host, Rob Speed, a channel chief on a never-ending quest for channel knowledge and adventure. Hello, Channel Pros, and welcome to Episode 23 of the Channel Journeys Podcast, sponsored by Channel Journeys Consulting. I'm Rob Spee, your host and founder of Channel Journeys Consulting, and I'm on a mission to help you accelerate growth and create powerful partner ecosystems. If you haven't already, you can go to ChannelJourneys.com where you can subscribe and be notified of every new episode. We already have a ton of valuable content in the first 23 episodes, and we have barely scratched the surface. Last week, I interviewed Ryan Walsh of PAX8, a born-in-the-cloud distributor to MSPs. I met Ryan out at the Channel Partners Conference in Vegas a while back, and that's where I also met today's guest. I'm speaking with Karen Fields. She is the CEO of Microcorp, a master agent traditionally serving telecom agents, but she is getting more and more into the MSP world, and you're going to hear what's driving that shift. Karen has spent her entire career at Microcorp, rising up the ranks from the back office all the way to CEO. You know, I come from the IT side of the channel, and I've been diving more and more into the telecom and communication side to better understand it as these two channels are colliding. So get ready to learn how the communications channel is evolving and what you as a SaaS vendor or a partner can do to win in this new landscape. So let's jump right in with Karen Fields. Here we go. Hey, Karen Fields. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Channel Journeys podcast. Hi, how are you today, Rob? I am fantastic for a Friday afternoon. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. It's a beautiful day in Atlanta, Georgia. Not too hot, not too cold, not too much pollen. It is perfect. It is a beautiful day. And it's so funny, Karen. I met you out at the CP Expo. And that was my first expo that I've ever been to. And I run into you and find out that we live, what, maybe 30 minutes from each other. Small world. It's a small world. And you've been in a different world than I've been in my, most of my channel career, where I've been on the value-added distributor IT side, software ISV channel with VARs and MSPs. And you're on the master agent telco side, but you're starting to move into my world, or I'm moving into your world, one or the other. It was really fun getting to chat with you, and I'm really glad and happy to have you on the show. And, and actually, my company started actively pursuing working with more VAR, solution providers, system integrators, MSPs as a strategy about six years ago. So I have some familiarity with your world. It is one that we are striving to gain more and more mindshare from, from your community. Yeah. And you're certainly, I think, moving faster into my community than my vendors, the vendors that I've worked with are moving into your kind of traditional agent community. Exactly. I I agree with that. So maybe we could start for the audience that aren't as familiar with the master agent model. Kind of talk about your business and how you differ from the value-added distributors that most of us in my audience know, you know, the Ingrams and Arrows and Tech Datas. I do absolutely nothing by a skew number. (laughs) I have no SKU numbers at all. My world is made up of a bunch of independent 1099s. Some of them are, we call them two men or one man and a dog type of operations that work out of 
Oftentimes, yes, the basement of their houses. Some of them have more professional offices and teams of, Mm -hmm. you know, six, seven, eight salespeople and uh, back office staff. No, that's actually what caused the problem. Our traditional partners are, like I said, anywhere from single individual organizations to multiple larger organizations that work with their customers, their end users, uh, mainly talking about their network connectivity and how to manage their networks the best. They are slowly migrating into having more conversations Mm -hmm. about subjects that are traditionally conversations that they the customer would normally have with their solution provider, MSP, or VAR. So when I say a VAR, instead of talking to a VAR about a phone system, my team is talking to customers about UCAS. Instead of talking to a MSP about storage mm-hmm. and infrastructure, well, now that's something that, that my team's talking with customers about also. You know, we can help them with their 365 licenses. We can help them with AWS connectivity. We can help them with storage, backup, retrieval, failover, all of the things that traditional MSPs have helped their customers with. We're just doing it more in the virtual space. So the MSP that's calling on a given account, he used to maybe run into the agent and he wasn't worried about him because all he was selling was cable and T1 lines. Yep. And PRIs and yeah. And talking about the network. And now the lines are very muddy as far as what a partner feels comfortable going and talking to a customer about. And for the MSP community, their customers really are looking for them to be that, you know, one pat back mm-hmm. to pat versus neck to choke, but that one resource to manage the entire solution. And you can't have a fully meshed solution without connectivity. That's, mm-hmm. you know, nothing works. Nothing that an MSP sells works without connectivity. It, it you know, it's the blood. It's make sure that everything happens. And so the MSP, I know they hate it. They don't like it. You know, if if they're supposed to to do something on a Tuesday, it happens on Tuesday, where if we're supposed to have a FOC date, an install date from the last mile provider, 80% of the time it'll happen, but 20% of the time it won't. Excuse me. And even with 80% of the time when it happens, you know, there's even a little bit more of a chance that there's going to be other complications that come down the pike and the customer then that the MSP feels that it's hindering or hurting their relationship with their customer because it's not perfect. It's not something that they can control or manage. And one of my key comments to most MSPs is, you know what, the customers, it's not their first time at this rodeo. As long as you set them up with the right expectation, they know what's going to happen. They know it's not your fault. They understand. They don't like it, and they're going to yell and scream a little, but they've been there, done that before. They know that they can't control the last mile. So it's just one of those things, just like you can't control the weather. You just got to win and bear it and move on. But for the MSP, it's that loss of control that they're used to having. Yes, it is that loss of control that they're used to having, and they feel it really infringes on their relationship with their end user. And so that's why they are so 
tentative at best about, you know, jumping into my sandbox, so to speak. So on the topic of loss of control, the other aspect, and and this was a discussion I've had with a number of folks out at CP Expo, and I even wrote an article about it. I don't know if you had a chance to read it about whether or not this whole channel convergence is going to take place. And I was arguing that one of the big impediments is the business models are so different. And the MSPs, not only do they lose control, like you just mentioned, but also losing, they perceive losing control because they're not billing the customer for your services. Yep. Yep. They do like to white label. And the good news is, is that there are providers that understand this concern that MSPs have and are looking at ways for the MSP to be able to white label some of their services so that it can be on the MSP's paper and that they just resell it under their brand. There aren't a lot of the providers that do that, but there are more and more providers that are investigating it and open to that option. So in the next Mm -hmm. two years, we may see more and more providers coming up with interesting ways of allowing the MSPs to keep that relevance to their customer. Well, I think that'd be wise of them to do that and offer different business models and and give the partners a choice of what they want to do. And also, it's ultimately to the customer. What would the customer like and prefer from that provider? Honestly, I think that the customer just wants to have a really good experience and however it's going to be, that's what they want. And I, I don't necessarily know if they if they care about having one invoice or if they have three invoices, as long as mm-hmm. everything works and everybody works well together. I think that ultimately, it used to be that customers would want it all on one bill, just put it all on one bill. But the Buyers nowadays are a little bit more savvy and they're willing to pay two, three, four, five providers if it's going to be the best solutions within each one of those areas versus just getting one bill. I'm not saying that companies like the bigger providers aren't able to do, you know, UCAS, SD-WAN, connectivity, wireless, Mm -hmm all fairly seamlessly and all on one bill. But oftentimes customers have their own nuances and there may be a product out there, a UCAS product or an SD-WAN product that the mainstream carriers don't offer that would really be a better fit for the customer. So they're, they're willing to do that as long as it's still going to be a cohesive a solution. And that's where the MSP really has an advantage because they're so entrenched mm-hmm. with their customers on a daily basis, much more so than a traditional partner, that if they even get a slight inkling that there is a little discontent, they can swoop in and, and be a lot more proactive than a traditional partner. MSPs and solution providers typically talk or in, interact with a customer on a weekly basis, whereas most agents, traditional yeah. agents, even the ones who are with their best, best customers, probably only talk to them every four to six weeks. Because if everything's working well from the network standpoint, there's really no reason for them to interact more. Whereas the MSPs and the solution providers are more tactical and have a lot more daily, natural daily interaction. So, so they're able to pick up on 
comments or or blips in the system that the customer may have and respond to it better. Which probably make them a more interesting partner for you oh, yeah. as well for getting a bigger share of wallet from the customer. Oh, yeah. They, they are naturally much more comfortable having the conversations that my partners need to have with their end users. But for some strange reason, the partners are jumping in to having those conversations much more readily than the solution providers are. We have a solution provider that just sold a large multi-location account, $15,000 a month. And they had a location where the last mile, they had problems with the last mile. One of those things, one of those hiccups, the MSP is mortified. They, they feel that it's definitely affected this large customer's relationship with them. The customer is not as upset about it, I don't think, as, as the MSP is because the MSP, as we've said, has lost that control. Now, even though he has 1,500 N customers, he's now, eh, I don't know if I really want to get involved in this. That's 1,500 customers that my partners are going to actively be pinging every single week, month, day. Hey, you know, let me talk to you about your hmm. voice. Hey, let me talk to you about your security. Hey, let me talk to you about your infrastructure. Hey, how are you backing things up? How are you storing it? How are you making sure that you're staying compliant? So by the MSP backing out and saying, oh, I had a bad, I had a bad situation. I'm not going to jump into this pool anymore. It's just opening up the door for my partners to come in and and be a part of the solution and, and start chipping away at different pieces of that business. It takes some grit. They're going to have to stick with it and, and get used to it. Yep. It's like changing eating habits. You're not going to love the celery at first, but pretty soon, the more you eat it, the more you're going to like it. I, so looking at your partner mix, you mentioned to me when we met, I think you said you had about about 60% of your partners were agents maybe five years ago, but that number's gone down to about 40% today. And is that because you have fewer agents or you just have a lot more MSPs? Yeah, a lot more MSPs. And it's MSPs, it's PEMS, it's solution, provider, solution providers, it's IT consultants. It's a very broad mix of people who have traditionally not sold carrier services. We don't even call it carrier services anymore. We, we, we no longer have the vernacular in our office that of carrier, it's provider. Because our providers are no longer traditional carriers. Our, our providers have a wide range of products and services and transport's just a, a piece of it. Yeah, that makes sense. And there are a lot of new MSPs coming into the market and they're coming in a lot of times they're the, like you said, one man, man and a dog and they're 20 somethings. They're starting out with a break fix shop. They, they want to become MSPs. Are you seeing many new agents enter the market? Not as many, which is interesting. Most of the population of agents are traditionally middle-aged white men, male. There are some but more of them are really coming in as MSPs or IT consultants. They're not coming in as a traditional telecom partner. They're bringing in some other added value to the relationship beyond just a connectivity conversation. 
Would you advise a 20-something to get into your space as an agent to start out? I think it's a great quality of life. And I think that there is going to be a significant need for it. I think that if they could partner, if they could go and work for a successful partner in the perfect world, learn their business, and then eventually take over the customer base of an existing partner, that's just a win-win for everybody. Because there's, you know, 15 years ago to break into our space, it was relatively easy. It wasn't that sophisticated. Within two, three months, you pretty much were able to talk intelligently and have good conversations with customers if you got the training that you needed during the initial 90 days. That is not the case anymore. There are too many products, too many services, too many different needs. It really would take somebody, let's say somebody who's 21, 22, right out of college, Mm -hmm. about 18 months to 18 months to work within an organization and gain enough sophistication to be able to really have the kind of conversations that a more sophisticated end user would need. Because they you're not just talking about connectivity. It's what are they doing with that big dumb pipe? You know, what type of UCAS offering are they going to talk about with their customer? Why are they going to choose to talk to a customer about a momentum solution versus a ring central solution versus a Mitel solution versus a Volvi piece solution versus an eight by eight. Well, they're going to have to have a conversation, an exploratory conversation with a customer to find out what the customer is trying to do. And not just from the procurement manager or the IT director, they need to go and talk to the people in human resources and marketing, because those are the ones who are going to have different needs that the IT team or the procurement team aren't even going to understand. A UCAS solution is only going to meet the needs of an organization if the person who helps them find the solution understands all of the needs. Yeah, that's a lot to take on for someone just jumping into the field. And what you described, it kind of sounded like someone who would find an insurance agent who's got a book of business and wants to retire, and they're going to jump in and get to know the clients, get to know the product, and then take over that business and kind of do a buyout of that agent. And I think that if there's somebody who's right out of college or has worked with a provider for you know inside sales for a year or two, if they could partner with somebody who's maybe five, six years from retiring and learn and work together and then take over the business and allow the person who wants to retire to slowly, you know, go into the sun, go off into the sunset, that would be the perfect world. Yeah. And for the the young individual doing that, it is the perfect world. My brother actually is doing that. He is uh, in construction, has a very successful construction firm, but he's getting close to where he wants to retire. So about, I think it was at least five years ago, he brought a young guy in out of college and he's been training him and preparing him to take over the business. Yep. And I would like to see that. I haven't seen that much of it happening in our space, but it's what needs to happen. In the meantime, because there are going to be these partners that are looking for a retirement plan, the the next solution for them, the next opportunity for them to, quote unquote, sell their base, so to speak, would be to actually go and 
work with an MSP and blend their organizations together. You know, let's say a 52-year-old telecom partner who works within predominantly a set community go and merge with an MSP that's, you know, relatively been in business maybe 10 years sure. and work together and come up with an end game for that that tradition that 52-year-old traditional telecom partner. It's that could be a win-win for both of them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's jump to the supplier side, the providers. So you've got, what, at least 50 providers on your, on your line card? What are you looking for now as you are looking to expand your, your line card? So we're really, we're not looking for any more traditional connectivity partner just because providers, because that's just not what we have enough in that space. Our big push is in data center, security, and SD-WAN. We'll probably go a lot deeper and wider within security and data centers in 2019, 2020. We have a strong portfolio of SD-WAN providers right now, but there's still probably one or two more that we would bring on. UCAS, I think that we have our line card pretty full. We have access to every major UCAS supplier out there and some that aren't as well known that still do a very nice job for customers, uh, especially if the customer has some specific needs. But that's personally where our organization is growing in 2019, 2020. And those are the type of providers that we'll look to. Beyond 2020, it's probably going to start being more in the SaaS space, you know, the actual applications. And now you're directly moving into the value-added distributor model and, and community that I know. Those guys, you know, the tech datas and Ingrams and Arrows, they're actively selling data center and security and software as a service. And, and I think that's going to be the next evolution within our, within our world because it's going to be, there needs to be that impartial, independent person who can pull the solution together from multiple providers and multiple products and services to make a fully meshed solution for the customer that's that's going to be cohesive for them and enable them to grow as they need to grow. You know, I was in distribution for a while. I was at Arrow. And as cloud technology was coming out, people started questioning the role of distribution. And is there a role of distribution going forward in this new model? Did you get those questions as a master agent? Are you still getting those questions? I No, I haven't gotten those questions. Actually, it's really interesting because more and more of the information that is coming out is showing that customers are looking to third-party providers, a distribution, to, to get those solutions because they can, a, an independent partner or an MSP can come to an organization like mine and I can help them get pretty much any product and service that they need within the SD-WAN, UCAS, connectivity infrastructure space. And because we work with them on a daily basis, whereas the MSPs may only work with some of them on a daily basis and some of them, you know, only on a monthly or semi-monthly basis, I'm able to educate the MSP about why they would want to look to one UCAS provider 
versus another UCAS provider if they have a very unique solution. Most, most partners traditionally sell about six providers. They get really entrenched with those six, know them very well, and are comfortable with them. However, they're going to come up against opportunities yeah. where those providers, one of those six, isn't necessarily going to be the best one for that customer because, you know, lots of, because of size, because of international footprint, because of regulatory reasons. And then they come to us and say, okay, here's what I need. And then we open up our bag of tricks and we're like, oh, well, here, let's, it's international. Let's talk about Xperia. And, oh, you know, you need to do UCAS and there, and it's got to go international. Then, you know, let's talk about Ring Central or 8x8. You know, they may not be familiar with all the nuances of the different, what the, the scope of what the different providers offer. What do you look for in a provider? Do you have set criteria that you compare a provider against to know if they're a good fit for you? Yes. So first of all, they have to have a mature indirect channel or are actively working to have a mature indirect channel. We've worked with a couple of organizations that were testing the waters or were just very, very new. And it, it doesn't make for a good experience for anybody. So they have to have a mature program. Their leadership has to be fully invested in having a indirect channel and put, as our president says, wood behind the arrow and tr is truly investing in it, investing in talent, systems, compensation plans. We definitely have to have a structure that where pricing is the same, no matter who sells it, has price parity. I could not think of that word, sorry. Has price parity, has teaming rules and rules of engagement. Nothing frustrates an indirect channel more than an organization mm -hmm. that doesn't have specific rules as far as <laughs> teaming and yep. and rules of engagement for if we come up against a customer together, because it's inevitable, it will happen. I mean, we even have it within our organization where we'll have two partners who will send us within an hour of each other, the exact same customer and ask us to bid out a solution for the customer. Right. So, I mean, we even have rules of engagement. So we look for a new provider that's, that is definitely indirect committed and has the plans to back it up. And then we start to look into what their offering is. And it needs to be something that's different and unique than what we already have in our portfolio. We are not looking to bring on another Me Too provider. We will only bring on providers that we feel that we're going to be successful with. Because there are masters out there that have relationships with 250 different organizations. And guess what? They're not, they don't know anything about those 250. They can. It's impossible. And they don't have the back office team to be able to go in and really support 250 different organizations. It takes a lot of time to learn how to work with a provider and to set up good systems and policies so that your two organizations work well together. My support team, my commission team, my provisioning team, my pricing team, they all have to learn the nuances of these new organizations. So we really invest a lot 
before we even bring on anybody new to make sure that it's it's going to fit a need within our big picture of where we want to go and grow. That's why I said we're not going to be adding on any more connectivity providers because we don't need any. We Between the aggregators and the relationships that we already have, we can reach mm-hmm. pretty much anybody anywhere through any means of connectivity that they need, whether it's satellite, whether it's line of sight, whether it's wireless, whether it's fiber, coax, anything. When you mentioned having a mature indirect channel, is there kind of a baseline? They should have, you know, at least 50 partners or at least 10 million in channel revenue, anything like that? No, it's more the systems and the processes and procedures. Okay. How do they support the indirect channel? What type of internal firewalls and systems do they have to make sure that the direct team can't see the indirect team's work? What type of leadership do they have? How many support people do they have pre-sales? Are their provisioners the same people that are provisioning the direct orders? It looks more like that. Okay. And what does your most successful providers look like in terms of how they engage with you? They're the ones that have a dedicated pre-sales, post-sales, commissioning team even, just for the indirect channel. They allocate talent. They allocate marketing dollars. They have specific rules of engagement, price price parity, all of that. That's what a mature system looks like to us and a good partnership. Do they put people on site at your office? Not on site on a daily basis, but yes, we have a channel manager or somebody from their organization who will come out and hang out in our office on a week, you know, every week. We have a, in our office, we actually have a carrier room. So we have certain providers that every single week, somebody from their organization comes and will be in our office for half a day to a full day, sitting right near my sales team so that they are able mm-hmm. to be engaged with our partners. Yeah, because we found that the more a organization provider has somebody in our office, the more natural synergy there is. Partners will call and if somebody from a UCAS provider sitting there and the partner is asking about UCAS questions, you know, my sales team will go and say, hey, can you come and answer these questions for me? And one, two, three, we got an order. It just how the natural flow and the statement out of sight, out of mind truly applies. If somebody is not involved with our team, they never show up. They, you know, just send us an email once a month. Hey, don't forget about us. We forgot about you. (laughs) Yeah, I know there's a misconception or misperception by many suppliers that, oh, we'll just sign up a distributor or a master agent and we're going to suddenly get all this business that's just going to autonomously happen. Start rolling in. Does not work like that. Yeah. And and not only does it not work like that, but it takes an investment. It it does take a financial investment to make it happen. Because we first you have to get engaged with my team. So that means time and money to sit and educate my sales team, my provisioning team, my commissioning team, so that they understand what the value is, this new product and this new provider. Then we have to organize a marketing campaign 
to get the message out to our indirect partners all across the United States. And what happens with learning? I can't talk about it one time. I have to reach out and touch them, you know, three, four, 10 times before that messaging starts resonating. And, you know, it can be a soft semi-drip campaign. It can be a webinar. It can be flashing their logo on our Nautilus portal, which is how our partners go in and and manage their orders and Mm -hmm. their customers within Microcorp. But there's lots of ways. and, And all of that takes time and talent and money. And so we need those marketing dollars to help cover the cost of all of that. We have a president's club that a lot of our providers sponsor. So if a partner sells an opportunity for X amount of dollars, they win a trip on our president's club. That helps drive interest to certain providers. You know, our partners will look at the beginning of the year of what the list is of president's club, Mm -hmm. and they'll pick a provider or two and say, okay, I want to win two trips. And I want to win one on this provider and I want to win one on this provider. And they, you know, forge forward with a plan of how they're going to meet, you know, the revenue needed to win those trips. I saw on your website, it's a cruise, a Bermuda cruise this year. Is that right? It's a Bermuda cruise this year. So it's out of Liberty in New Jersey. It's a day and a half down to Bermuda, two days in Bermuda, and then a day and a half back to New Jersey. Awesome. Yeah, we're excited about it. And we're going to have about 100 people on our trip this year. I'm trying to line up a Bermuda cruise, but a Bermuda cruise, Karen, but I want to do it on a sailboat with just a couple guys and like a 40-foot sailboat and get out there. Yeah. Nice. It's funny because a lot of our partners, so we have our partner advisory board Several years ago, we said, you know, we want to do something that's going to be a cool, fun president's club. What do you guys want? And everybody said a cruise. And we've done several cruises. We've done Alaska. We've done the Mexican Riviera. Oh, not. No, we've done um, Puerto Vallarta and, and Cabo. We've done the biggest, at the time, Oasis, which was the biggest ship in the world. And we've done some really fun cruises. But then we had a handful of partners that said that they didn't like cruises. So last year was the first year that we did a destination trip and we went to Cabo and our partners really enjoyed it. So now we're going back and forth between a cruise one year and a destination the following year. So this year, 2019, it's Bermuda. 2020, it's going to be Punta Cana in Dominican Republic. What is the favorite place or best adventure you've ever had? On a president's club? Or outside of work? So it would be Alaska and it would be family trip that we did quite a few years ago with my parents and my children and my husband and myself. We did 17 days in Alaska and it was phenomenal. It is to my children and to to my entire family. It, it's been hands down the best vacation we've ever had. And I hope this summer we're actually going to do 14 days in Europe, going to Barcelona, Florence, and Rome. And I'm hoping that it's going to be the same type of experience. Awesome. When you did Alaska, was that on a cruise? So we did everything. We did. We flew into Fairbanks, Alaska, hung out in Fairbanks on our own for three days, 
then got on the land portion of the trip, went down on a train to Denali, spent a day at Denali, then went down to Seward and got on a cruise ship and went from Seward down to Vancouver and then spent two days in Vancouver and flew home. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. How about you? What's the best trip you guys have ever done? Oh, man. We've loved the sailing vacations we've done in the Caribbean where we just charter, you know, bear boat and just sail around and drop anchor. And we just love that. And that's for that and going to Colorado and just go hiking with the family. Those are kind of our best family vacations. That's nice. Yeah. Getting away from it all is good. And that's one of the things that I like about cruises is it's easy to forget your phone. That helps. Yeah. <laughs> that's a big factor. Well, we've only got a few minutes left. Your channel journey has pretty much been at Microcore, right? That's most of your career has been spent there. Actually, it's been 100%. 100%. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually, it was, it was really funny. They, they were doing a gift giveaway. And so they wanted to do who has been with the most companies. And I immediately sat down and the woman started laughing. She's like, I didn't even say anything. I'm like, I've only been with one. <laughs> yeah, which I don't have very many friends who have only been with one company. It, it doesn't happen that often. But yours is a great story. You started in, I think you said back office and, and now you're the CEO. And I think that's just an awesome journey. Yeah. And that's one of the things that my company has always strived is to promote from within. So we have a director that started as a provisioner. We have a lot of supervisors and managers that started as provisioners. Um, We have one woman who has been with Microcorp 11 years. And in 11 years, she's been promoted five or six times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, at least five, if not six times in 11 years. So that's one of our core values. We like to grow from within. Keep all that tribal knowledge. That's awesome. How many of your employees are local here to the Atlanta area versus remote? Um, We actually have two offices. Our headquarters is in Atlanta. And we have about 30, 35 people who work out of that office. And then we have an office in Raleigh, North Carolina. We've got about four or five people working out of that office. And then the rest of the team is remote in Arizona, Washington State, Ohio, Pennsylvania, another part of North Carolina, Florida, Texas. So we're pretty geographically spread out. Ah. But most every but at least thirty people are in the Atlanta office. Okay, great. Well, I need to stop by sometime and, and see your office. We do. Well, excellent, Karen. Any Last tips, maybe for our listeners who come from the non-traditional telco communications world who who don't know that much about your world, any advice for them? I know it's scary, but if you don't make it a part of your future, somebody else will be taking your customers from you. We're, we're a necessary evil. Don't be frightened. There are organizations like Microcorp that are out there that will help to educate and support you so that it's not as scary and help you through the journey. Yeah, that's great. You know, I went to Channel Partners Expo to learn about this scary, dark world, but it's not that scary. And, and you're not really that evil, Karen. <laughs> you're pretty nice. So well, I, I always tease people and I'm like, oh, you're coming to the dark side. 
<laughs> yeah, I think it presents a huge opportunity. And I'm excited that you're moving into the SaaS world. So much future and opportunity there, obviously. Well, excellent. Well, happy Friday. Have a great weekend. Thanks again for joining me. Thank you. And please let me know when you're free to come by and visit our office. I sure will. All right, guys, as you can tell, there are a lot of things changing in the telco channel. And it seems that everyone is going after the managed service providers, the MSPs, as a route to market. That's not too surprising, though, given the whole shift from needing to sell products or solutions to selling business outcomes. And that requires a partner who understands the business and who can manage the service and ensure customer success. Special thanks again to Karen Fields for this episode. She shared a lot of insight, and I appreciate her sharing her channel journey as it evolves. You know, I really love hearing the insights from my guests. Next week, I have another great one for you. I'll be chatting with Laura Stewart. She is a former MSP who now has her own podcast and consulting business. And we're going to ask the question, are we asking the right questions? It's a great episode. You're going to really love it. As always, you can find more takeaways, show notes, and resource links for today's podcast on my website at channeljourneys.com backslash CJ23. I'll see you next week. Until then, have an awesome channel journey. Thanks for listening to Channel Journeys. For show notes and other Channel Journey podcasts, visit channeljourneys.com. If you liked today's show, please forward it to your channel friends. And be sure to tune in for Rob's next channel adventure.